Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, brand worn by John McEnroe, Vitas Garolaitis, Novak Djokovic, and Gabriella Sabatini. Check them out at SergioTacchini.com. Use the code SHAP30 in all caps to receive 30% off of your order. Today's guest was born and raised in Greenville, Ohio, and took up tennis at 12 years old. He competed well in Ohio and then began coaching tennis. He has coached Jennifer Capriati, Andy Roddick, and most significantly has the distinction of bringing the Williams family to his academy and was there when Venus turned pro. He is portrayed by the actor John Bernthal in King Richard, the film about Richard Williams and the path he took to make Venus and Serena champions. Rick Macy is today's guest. So you're in Boca. Yeah. And it's raining. Oh, it just, it, it actually stopped. You know how it is in Florida. It rains for like 20 minutes, but I got a, a window here and that's why I got you in. So we're full steam ahead and good to go. How many courts do you have down there? Uh, 19. I'm at, uh, uh, it's called South County Regional Park. It's Rick Macy Tennis Center. It's uh, crown jewel of Palm Beach County. The place looks like uh, Disneyland and Candyland. I have a long-term relationship with uh, uh, Palm Beach County, and it's like it's amazing. We have really something for everybody. There's pros that play there. Uh, Francis plays there. Apelka, Kennan. You can rent a court for five dollars. The academy's there. So tournament every weekend. It's uh, it's rocking and rolling all the time. Gentlemen, you hear has been in tennis significantly for a lot of years. I have to plead uh, guilty that I did not know a lot about him. Looking forward to chatting. That's Rick Macy, former coach of Andy Roddick, Sophia Kennan, uh, most significantly at this moment in time, uh, played to the beat in King Richard. Pleasure to see you, coach. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. We're going to have a lot of fun. Now, my man, as you know, we do a five-set format. The first set is the off-the-court report. I want to just get right into the film because there's nothing more off-the-court than a film. Now, I always maintain for a lot of years there was never one good tennis movie, and then all of a sudden they made a good tennis movie about Billie Jean King. The Borg McEnroe film was a good film, I thought. But this is is chalking up nominations like left and right as we speak from supporting actors to, to Will Smith as leading. They're, they're talking about Will Smith getting an Oscar nomination here. Uh, the writer, Zach Balin, has been getting many nominations. Coach, what is your unrefined critique of King Richard? Uh, first off, great question. And uh, I've actually critiqued everybody uh, uh, in the movie, and I actually got, you know, I've talked to everybody. I talked to Will Smith. I've talked to everybody. But um, let me just start off and say this is a masterpiece. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, the movie's about the power of family. It's about love, inspiration, dedication, perspiration, um, education. There's, there's something for everybody. Coach, it's remarkably accurate to the beat, isn't it? To the T. Yeah. Well, once again, you know, I was there every day for four years and Richard was my best friend and Venus and Serena were like my own daughters. So four years, 365 days, and you take that time, four or five, six hours a day, no one knows Richard. 
better than Rick Macy, maybe other than his wife. So when you said that about Will, and when I talked to Will at the after party, uh, the nuances, the subtleties, the walk, the talk, just putting Humpty Dumpty together, how he looked, you, you can't, and he was blown away because it meant a lot coming from me because I'm different than any critic. You know, people are going to see him act, but I was there live and in color and it literally blew me away. The first time I saw the movie, I've seen it three times, uh, I was laughing because it was so spot on, okay, how you look at him and you don't see Will Smith. You see Richard Williams inside and out. So that was beyond belief. But everybody, you know, from Andrew Ellis, all of it. No, Coach, I've listened to a lot of the press you've done the last month and a half. You keep saying Richard was your best friend, but it seemed like he was playing the bowl of Terry card hard with you and that he was really quite ruthless, that he was holding you over a barrel to get a deal done. It seemed to me like it was a hard relationship and it wasn't just that you guys were best friends. No, no, I, I disagree. You know, that you're looking at it, what you saw in the movie. Um, you know, I first visited Compton. We just had a connection. I had a connection with the whole family. So, you know, the fact that maybe other people wanted to get involved, uh, you know, that was going to be Richard's decision and the family's decision. And they selected Rick Macy. So, you know, how it played out, like, well, if you don't do this, we're going to go there. It wasn't really ever like that. Because deep down inside, he knew who the leader in the clubhouse and who could put Humpty Dumpty together and who knew that I'd be all in. And now so, I know you said that your mustache was, I actually watched video, <laughs> your mustache was tighter. Much tighter. Yeah, now Bernthal, that was way too bushy. I mean, that, that looked like a shrubbery. You know, mine was like, you know, it took me, uh, it took me a long time to grow that. It was hair by hair. So yeah, it was much shorter. And, and coach, you got to tell us, I mean, you know, I, I really missed the Richard Williams cigarette. You know, I mean, this guy, this guy was omnipresent with a cigarette. Whenever you saw him, he was always smoking. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. You know, he, uh, he was like just nonstop and he'd be sitting on a chair at tennis court and each night there'd be a, a bunch of them on the clay court that we'd have to clean up. So yeah, he, uh, he did, he did smoke a lot, but then again, he did get a lot of exercise. He was running around. But the reason that I bring that up is because that goes to show even more how removed he was from building athletes, right? You know, very rarely do you see coaches or, or, or even family of world-class athletes smoking. I thought it was glaring that they missed that. Well, you know what? That's a, no one's ever asked that. that, that that's a very good point, you know, because you want to lead by example. You're a role model, father figure, whatever. And I never looked at it like that at the time. But now that you said that, um, that usually doesn't happen a lot nowadays. You know, that was the early 90s. Maybe the landscape was a little different. Uh, but you don't, you're right. I don't see that now. And you probably won't again, especially if you're developing a world-class player. <laughs> and now what, <laughs> and what about the gangsters giving you a hard time walking into the courts in Compton? Did that happen or did they make that yeah. up? No, it was, it, it was real. They didn't give me a hard time when I first got there. And uh, you know, I've told this story many times and we went to East Compton Hills country club, you know, and about 10 minutes into the ride, I'm going, this is a strange place for a country club. And we end up in this park and 
it was about 20 guys playing basketball, shoot hoops at 7.30 in the morning. And guys were passed out, drinking, smoking. We get out of the van, okay? And we have to cross the tennis court, okay? Uh, to go to the, uh, we have to cross the basketball court to go to the tennis court. And these guys go, hey, Richard. Hey, King Richard. And I'm going, that's kind of interesting. They go, hey, me. Because Serena's middle name was Serena G. Mika Williams. Hey, VW. So they knew who they were from a story in the New York Times earlier. It parted like the Red Sea. It was like they were celebrity. It was uh, Craig. It was crazy. <laughs> and we walk across. They're eyeballing me. And uh, Richard, he's with us. He's with us. So that, that was all true. And we go onto the court. And I had a, a new box of Wilson tennis ball shipped there. And Richard goes, we don't use new balls. We don't use old balls. I want the kids bending and digging them out. So we go on the court. I got to finish this story. We go on the court. You got to remember my baseline was Jennifer Capriotti, who's probably the best junior tennis player of all time. She won the 18 and under as a 12 year old. And Craig, that will never be done again. That was in 88. So we're out there drilling and I'm sitting there going, what am I doing in Compton, California on a Saturday? They weren't any better. They weren't any good, any better than 50, 60 in the nation. Arms, legs, hair, beads falling off. I was going to say, when I watch those videos, they don't look that good. Correct. When you watch the original videos of, and you can see them on YouTube for our listeners, they're there. I mean, they're there. They don't look that good. You're right. And you sound like every parent the last 30 years that have been to my academy, when they see uh, Venus and Serena when they were young because they were off balance, a lot of arms, legs, hair flying everywhere, the beads coming off. So they judge a book by a cover. And, you know, the cover could be bad and the book amazing. The cover could be bad and the book amazing. But here's the wild card. And that's why I took a chance. Once I saw them compete, once we started doing competitive things, I've never seen two little girls try so hard to get to a ball. They almost fell over. So as a coach, you know, they, I just never saw anything like it. It was brutal. The commitment to get the ball. Now, let me finish. Be, now you can try really hard and that doesn't mean you're going to be a great player, but I just looked at it like six feet, 160, 510, 150, speed, quickness, agility, and a burning desire, a burning desire. Like I never saw there's a rage inside these kids. And I went up to Richard and I said, after I saw him compete, you know, we played points. I, I went up to him. I said, let me tell you something. You got the next female Michael Jordan on your hand. And he put his arm around me. He goes, no, brother, man. I got the next two. That's in the movie. And that's true. But uh, everything in life's in the eye of the holder. And one thing I can do is like evaluate talent. It's what I saw inside. But you're right, Craig. On the outside, it looked like any normal kid. I mean, they got really, really good, obviously. And, and there's no... There's never been any hungrier player. I mean, they're still on the tour. It's just incredible. Yeah, and, you know, you look at that video prior to Rick Macy and then hibernating with me for three and a half years before I take her to make her debut. I mean, you're talking bang. You let a lion out of the cage, and a lot of the dots were connected, and a lot of the holes were filled, and I think that comes out and true in the story. So I like that. We're going to talk more about that further down my show. So – is that accurate in the film? Were you instrumental in essentially uh, a Nike deal that went away? 
then a Reebok deal that got done. They created the appearance that you were meddling a bit, that maybe Richard wasn't too excited about you getting the, trying to do these deals and, and, and you know, make millions for everybody. Uh, you know, I think directly and indirectly, you know, I was involved in everything because, you know, I would talk, they, they, everybody would talk to me, you know, and at the end of the day, they had to, they had to pull the trigger on whatever. So yeah, to, I was involved in everything, but obviously on the court was what I cared about. But uh, yeah, everything in there is pretty, pretty much spot on. Very interesting. Well, listen, coach, congratulations. I, I have to say, I, it always seemed to me like you never quite have gotten your due and it feels to me that you're getting it now. And uh, I do want to just take a moment to just congratulate you. I hope that this puts you and your academy and what you've done in tennis even more significantly on the map because that is no joke. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. You know, you just never know how the movie's going to come out because it, it does sound better. Even though everybody in tennis knows I, I coached them for four years, they don't know the magnitude and the financial commitment and the effort that went into this. And so I think people are going to look at it with a different set of eyes because you're right. It sounds better because you get lost in the, in the story from Compton to center court. That sounds better. But I think people are really going to have a, uh, a real good idea that I took a chance. There could have been a catastrophic injury. I tell people, for four years, I should be in the Hall of Fame just putting up with Richard for four years. I mean, but, 100%. You know. He's a pain in the ass, man. So listen, I'm just going to ask it now. Yeah. Did you get paid? Did you make money? Yeah, we worked everything out and uh, more than happy. So everything turned out, uh, everything turned out well. But what was the icing on the cake is, you know, having the movie, reuniting with Venus and Trina, you know, the laughs, the tears, the stories. I mean, we just, everything came full circle. You know, it's like, I still see those little two girls that I, even though I've seen them a little bit on the tour now and then, that made it all come full circle. And then I met with Richard like two weeks ago. I went to West Palm. We hung out for two and a half hours and uh, we're just laughing. He's in great spirits. His memory's like a steel trap. So uh, the whole thing has just put another exclamation point on everything I've done in my career. So it's awesome. Let's move into the second set. This is the On the Court Report. Coach, is the Macy Academy hot right now because of Orange Bowl? Um, well, yeah, yeah, a little bit. But we're in Boca Raton. The tournament's in Miami. So it's about a you know 45 minutes, hour away. But yeah, people have come up to practice and coaches and stuff like that. But it's not like we're right next door. I'm sure if we're right next door, I'm sure it'd be crazy. It's always been, you know, we've always had our niche. We're pretty much a worldwide leader in the teaching methodology with biomechanics. So it's always been busy. I'm mean, even prior to the movie, I teach 50 hours a week of private seven days a week. So I teach like eight to 10 hours a day. So I didn't go down there, but I have a lot of players playing that. And some are, when they lose, they come up and I work with them. And what is the sort of mantra of the Macy Academy like what kind if you're a if you're a junior player and you come to the Macy Academy what, what, what kind of program are they going to be immersed into yeah. first off great question because the model that we have is very very different than the rest of the world you got to remember I started this in 1985 I'm pretty I'm pretty much the last of the Mohicans you know IMG took over Boletari's long ago and Hopman doesn't do this anymore and 
there's never been a billion dollar corporation behind me. And you know, I'm still going strong. And I, the main reason is the personal touch. I'm so involved. I'm so involved in this thing. Like I said, I teach anybody, anytime, anywhere from age four years old up to 90 year old guys to you know, about 30 girls I work with on the tour and a handful of guys. So the one-on-one -on -one they can get from myself or Dr. Brian Gordon, who has his PhD in biomechanics, everything's so cutting edge from a technical point of view. Now throw in, you know, the matches, the grooving, the drilling, the fitness, like everybody else does in an amazing facility. Um, there's really something for everybody, but I think the number one thing that we do is the technical part because everything is based on science. And other academies have asked me to actually train their pros on this methodology that we put together. So, but at the end of the day, um, the fact that I'm so involved and uh, accessible, and nowadays people like that personal touch, especially sure. if they can get it from someone with that experience. What's an example of how you would adjust someone's biomechanics? Okay, see, first off in tennis, the power starts from the ground up. That's what we call the kinetic chain. And a lot of times people that coach tennis um, or even other sports too, but we'll stick to tennis. They kind of teach what they read or what they heard or maybe how they were taught. You know, the game has changed a lot. It's faster. It's like pinball on steroids. You know, it's a game of movement and emergency. So stroke mechanics are not at an all time high. And if you look at the men hit the ball, technically, they look a little different in general than maybe some of the women and especially a lot of the juniors. So there's a more optimal way to do it. So everything that we do is based on efficiency of motion. Okay, it's not a wrong way or right way, but there's maybe a better way. So that's kind of what I mean. Because I, I, if I took a deeper dive and started explaining the biomechanics or efficiency of motion, it's like a golf swing. But that's just one part of the toolbox. And then it's how you explain it. And obviously, with my ability to communicate and connect the dots, no one can kind of explain it where the average person uh, can understand. And that's why we can expedite the learning curve. And that's why a lot of people come here. It's just that technical base. What about the split step coach? How important is the split step to, to being able to play good tennis? Uh, well, you can't play, you know, uh, especially as you go down the yellow brick road and the ball comes faster. You know, timing the split step is the art of the deal. You know, just split step, everybody knows the word, but timing it, it there's an art to it because you don't want to be too high or you don't want to be too late. So timing it is crucial. And every coach should really stress this and they should explain, you know, exactly when they should do it. Because like I said, as you get older and people take the ball earlier or they hit it cleaner and flatter, you see that movement is exposed. But I'd rather have someone with a world-class split step to get out of the gate than actually someone that moved like Batman after they run because tennis is all a burst, you know, then there's makeup speed. So, you know, cause I've had people that they can run the, you know, 800 meters. They're amazing, but I'd rather have someone run eight feet like the Jackrabbit. And the split step is the leader in that area. How many players have you taken from the junior ranks into pro tennis? so many I, I couldn't even count you know when so you, many you can't even count can't even count so but you got to understand what I say that whether they start at five and then you go to 12 like Sophia Kennan okay you're putting Humpty to dump Humpty Dumpty together at a young age 
the cards you're dealt, Craig, at a young age, you're pretty much dealt with for life. You know, it's easy if someone's won 15 grand slams and you can sit in the box with them and people think, oh, that guy's amazing. And he probably brings something to the table, you know, motivation, strategy, whatever. But to start with someone at, say, seven years old or 10 or 12 and still be coaching them at 25, that just doesn't happen. You know, it just doesn't happen. There's just too many things. And, you know, I run a business. So to go with people on the tour, that has never been kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to control my own destiny. But to put it together, buy the ingredients, put it in the oven, bake it, put some icing on it. Then if they go on the tour, like Venus, like Serena, I took Venus to make her debut. Okay. So I went with her when she, you know, and she almost beat number one in the world. So I think it was pretty safe to say she'd probably be number one in the world that some someday. And her little sister might be better. Uh, Tommy Ho, who's what a great player. Who I coached for like 10 years. Okay. Went with him a little bit on the tour. Uh, but you got yeah, Capriotti was with me like four years and Mesquina and Mary Pierce and Sharapova for a little bit. Um, Christian Rude, whose son Casper. So a lot of players you coach, but to take anybody who can start with someone and go all the way to the end, I think it's almost impossible. No, I understand that. But my question to you is what separates the big time junior from the diamonds and the ducats from making big money on tour for getting deep into tournaments. You mentioned Tommy Ho. Tommy Ho had a, one of the greatest junior tennis careers there ever was and lesser so in pro tennis, right? I mean, absolutely. What, what is the difference there coach? First off, I love these questions. You're a very smart guy. You're very intuitive. And I think parents need to know this. Well, first off at the end of the day, it's a package. Anything in life, it's a package. I don't care if you're Jordan, you're LeBron, you're Tom Brady. It's more of a package, you know? So in Tommy's case, it was more the athletic ability. You know, he had great strokes and had a great mind at a young age. 15 gold balls by age 15. Youngest to win Kalamazoo in, eight, at, in the 18th as a 15-year-old. He got to like 82 in singles and 11 in doubles. He wasn't going to be Agassi Chang or Sampkers, but I knew that. Which, which by the way, you may... To be top 100 in pro tennis, to play main draw majors, to have major living doing that is an incredible accomplishment. And Yeah, and, and I don't mean to downplay it. but you know, No, 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 say, I just want, for our listeners, yeah. we don't pass judgment on players like that. Yeah, no, and he dominates the juniors, but I, there was holes there athletically. So it's, it's a package. There's a package. Um, and that's why with Venus and Serena, women's tennis is not as physical, but they not only checked every box with Rick Macy, they created a few more. We can talk about that later. But every player, like Tenen, mentally at a young age, was a, I just that blew me away. So if I could teach her to cut the court, shorten her strokes, and you know, just teach her, because she wasn't going to be that big. But mentally, that was already baked in. Same with Sharapova, like Roddy. Maybe a few you know, physical things weren't there, like Djokovic, but he got a world-class serve, forehand just a brutal competitor. The guy would die to win a point. So, and that's why he's never had any bad losses. And he was probably the best boy. Hey, coach, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think people realize how loose of a shoulder he had. I mean, his serve was, is really one of the best in history. Where, where, I, I don't know where you're getting this info. I mean, I'm, I'm sending you a hoodie from the Academy. No, his dexterity and flexibility was further than ever, but yeah biomechanically it had to be put together 
to optimize the leg drive so he could get maximum power. So his serve became nuclear. He had the highest percentage serve and the fastest serve on the tour, okay, when, when he went out there. And that's, uh, that's he's only 6'2". He only really lost to one or two guys for the whole career. Yeah, I know. Yeah, never any bad losses. He always showed up. But you ask me what separates, like, great from good. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are good. Great is rare air. That's a special fraternity. And it's the mental, okay, just the ability to forget and having a crazy work ethic. you got to be have great foot speed. Forget, a, forget look at Sampras or you look at Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray. All these guys can move like Spider-Man and Batman. When you're nervous, you can still run around the court and win matches. So if you don't have an amazing movement, you're not going to survive those rainy days. But it's a package. Then you get someone like Federer, who the forehands, you know, world class, the serve. I mean, it's crazy. And Djokovic, you got even more bases covered. But the wild card is the mental. That takes longer. But if you have great DNA and that athleticism, that, that can – that's just going to keep you improving and improving. But just because you're the best athlete, Kyrgios, Monfils, they don't have any slams. So the mind controls the body, you know, and that's the wild card. You just don't know what's going to happen. Even when I took Venus, Craig, to her debut, I knew people would say, whoa, this kid has amazing ability. I didn't know if she was going to be shooting missiles from North Korea all over the place. I didn't know if she'd get nervous. But you know what? She stepped up and delivered because you never know about the mind. That takes longer to develop. And then when you win and get confidence, you just start going to another levels mentally. Let's move into the third set. This is the portion of our show where we talk about your career. Coach, you're from Ohio? <laughs> yeah, and I'm, prou I'm proud of it. A small little town of 10,000, Greenville, Ohio, nestled in the southwestern corner of Ohio, about 20 miles from Dayton. And uh, okay, hang um, on a second. So you're 20 miles from Dayton, that makes you fairly close to Columbus. No, the other way, I'm in right next to Union City, Indiana, southwestern corner. So, what teams do you support, coach? Whichever team was winning. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I used to like the Dayton Flyers, but Dayton with football, Flyers. listen, if you're from Ohio, I mean, it's Ohio State Buckeyes, you know what I mean? So you support now, Ohio State Buckeyes. Yeah, now it's, I've been down here for so long. I'm Miami Hurricanes. So, but yeah, it was always Ohio State Buckeyes. It was like illegal. I think you get arrested if you didn't like wear a shirt that said Ohio State. But that accent that you have is, that's a that's an Ohio accent. Is that your accent? Listen, I didn't know I had an accent. I thought people from the South or New York had an accent. People say that Bernthal, you know, changed his voice in the movie like mine, I, listen, I don't know. You know, I let other people decide that. You, you can decide. I don't know. I you just, grew up in Ohio. And wh wh where does your tennis begin? Listen, first of all, I love the, I love the question. Listen, I, I played golf when I was like from age eight to like 12. And uh, I was like really good. I had like a four handicap. I thought I'd be a pro golfer. My parents were like county champions. And you know, my dad passed away when I was 10 years old. And, uh, we lived in a park, like a half mile from tennis courts. I went down there one day with a racket, started hitting the ball against the wall. I loved the sound of the ball. One thing I really liked, it always came back to me, you know, and it just kept me engaged. And that was at age 12. I picked up a racket. I never had a tennis lesson. By 18, I was number one in the Ohio Valley uh, uh, and beating guys going to Ohio State, Bowling Green, you know, All-America. So I got real good real quick. I was self-taught. 
I outworked the competition, uh, played basketball in the Hall of Fame at home and basketball also, and just fell in love with the game. So no one taught me. I'd have to drive in the car 60 miles just to get a competitive match. So hang on. So you were a self-taught junior player? Yeah, yeah. I just uh, I taught myself, you know, one sectional. Just, so I had a lot of success, but I, I did it on my own. And there's a lesson there for anybody. Sometimes when it's not all rainbow, lollipop, and sunshine, and you got to do it on your own. I mean, I never looked at it at the time because, you know, as, you're, as a kid, you're just in it. Uh, it makes you mentally stronger. And I just had to outwork the competition. You know, I'd be hitting ground strokes with my T2000 against the wall after basketball practice, and the janitor would have to kick me out. Or my mom would drive me back and shovel the snow, and I'd hit ground strokes against the wall because we couldn't afford to go to Dayton and pay, play indoor tennis. But I knew early on, uh, like I was like in my early 20s, I loved to help others more than to help myself. And uh, um, I had a gift to analyze and communicate, and uh, here we are. So did you go to college, Coach? Yeah, I went uh, to Wright State University. It's a small school in Dayton, Ohio. I went there two years, but I was playing prize money tournaments. I was playing like satellite tournaments. So I went, but the team, I could beat there by an O and O. So I still wanted to play. So I went there for two years. Then I said, I just want to get into, uh, uh, get into coaching and took a job in Ohio near about 30 miles from uh, where I live, Troy, Ohio. And then I knew if I ever wanted to really do this, I had to go to California or Florida get a little more experience and uh, end up going to a place called Greenleaf Golf and Tennis Resort in the early 80s. And that's where it all really started. Okay. So Greenleaf, which we see in the film, right? That's where you were uh, when you essentially staked Venus and Serena and the entire Williams family, right? So that's where you got your, really your start. You, you were, you started coaching there. You had a program there. yeah, no, listen, I started teaching way back in Ohio. Anybody, right. anytime, anywhere. I had good kids, had some of the best in the state of Ohio. I actually went to New Jersey for a year just to learn the business side, you know, how to run a, a club and stuff. And that was like a year. But when I went to Greenleaf, I saw this tennis tournament on television. It was called the United Airlines Sunbird Cup. And I saw Martina, Jaeger, Austin, Shriver, uh, you know, Sue Barker. I saw these people playing it. I, they, they were building a resort. So I just picked up the phone. I called there and uh, the guy said, yeah, yeah, we're hiring. And uh, we have a stack of resumes like this. You want to fly down? So I flew down one weekend. And uh, by the end of the weekend, they said, if you, if you want a job, we're going to hire, hire you. And, you know, I went there in the early eighties. I got a chance to build the resort. It was more about the corporate structure come on yeah i got this is a great story coach no no, and i got i got that's when i first met dr james lair i mean he's really the pioneer in this whole stuff and jim and i became like this and you know i knew a lot about mental toughness because i did it on my own and fell in love with jim and everything he had and did a lot with him in the early 80s for our listeners dr jim lair in, in the history of when the book's written in the history of tennis really the original mental coach for a lot of players throughout the 80s 90s I don't know is he still current yeah I think I think he's retired but it's not only players you know it's businesses Dr. Jim Lair very heavy guy yeah yeah so you met Jim Lair well we were together three four years doing stuff at Greenleaf he would come over and do these clinics called the ideal performance state or mind and performance and we'd bring corporate guys in so they could do their job better. 
I mean, it was all about, and he kind of used Greenleaf as a conduit to get into helping athletes. And then it kind of dovetailed into tennis. So that was a big influence on me with the mental part. Um, but I did a lot of teaching at Greenleaf, but it was more of the corporate. Then in 1985, a doctor from Winter Haven, Florida, brought three boys over. And one, one of them was named Tommy Ho. He was nine years old. And I saw how he held the racket. looked like he was playing ping pong or something. And after a while, I said, I make this kid a player. And from there on in, after that, he became iconic. He won everything. Jennifer's dad, Capriotti, wanted me to teach him how to serve. So it just blew up from there. And since that, since Tommy, that's where it all started, the miracle in the Orange Grove at Greenleaf. The miracle in the Orange Grove. <laughs> Tommy. Yeah. Tommy Ho. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen him speak in a, uh, you were given an award, I think the USPTA Hall of Fame, and he spoke in the video and extolled your your influence and, and your great coaching. That's got to feel good that the guy who kind of puts you on the map still feels good about you, huh, coach? Absolutely. No, Tommy was like my son, you know, because he was the first player really to become like, you know, great, you know, so, but it was, it was more than that. You know, what I do, Craig, is different than strategy, motivation, footwork, biomechanics, whatever. You know, I don't, I don't change grips. I, I change lives, but I don't try to. It's all involved in the teaching because I look at the world through a different lens and I try to extract greatness, but that's part of the teaching. So for Tommy, when I was the youngest ever inducted in the Hall of Fame and he spoke like that, we've always had an amazing friendship even to today, but you know, other than his parents, the influence I had and made him what he is today, that's huge. And I think that's, uh, those are some of the best things that I've done. It's not all the kids that became the players who became number one or the 300 and some national titles or everything that I've been, you know, fortunate to receive. It's the influence that I've had on others to get off drugs or get off medication or clean their bedroom better or, or work harder in their life or clean whatever it is when I hear that coming back from thousands not hundreds thousands of people that I've taught um, to me that to me is my greatest gift because I made a difference in someone else's life other than tennis Rick Macy top level right here now how does it work does the agent come to you does the agent send you the player are you on the outskirts of the agents to the agents? They don't like you. Do you charge everybody? Do you give everyone free rides? How does it work? How does, how do you get these elite players in there coach? Um, Cause I well, know Stefano, Stefano Capriati was tight as a drum. He didn't pay anybody anything, right? Yeah, no. Well, that was back in the day, you know, some people I would help. Um, and then it would be, sometimes you do a little bit for nothing. Sometimes it'd be a hybrid but they'd all come to me, you know? So it's not like I went to them, okay? Other than getting on a plane and going to Compton, which by the way, was my best vacation of my life going to Compton, California, uh, which not a lot of people could say that. So um, <laughs> no, the agents, yeah, the agents are brutal, okay? What I mean by that, you know, I've negotiated many deals and even had a influence on the deal you see in the movie and many, many, many things, because. The, I can put more helium in the balloon just because of the credibility I have with the press. The mom or dad or the agent, you know, they have a hidden agenda. And even though I have an agenda too, I'm dealing for more, well, they have potential. I hear, so I have a lot of credibility in that. 
So um, I've acted as the agent and just had to get a lawyer involved to finalize deals. So that being said, the agent might say, go to Rick Macy. They might already have signed him and they come to me that way. But younger kids, I don't, I build the players, you know, and I think that's where uh, a lot of people probably look at me. I, I put Humpty Dumpty together. I mean, the, to build the house is the hardest thing. To put another coat of paint on it, Craig, that's easy. Well, not nothing life's easy. It's easier. But to build something, the cards you're dealt with at a young age and the influence that you have on a young child's life is epic. So, um, yeah, I do a little bit of everything. But right now, if someone wants to come, obviously they can join the camp and they pay for the week or the month. They want to private with me. It's 800 an hour. I'm, I'm booked every single day. You know, it's a very unique thing that I do. I do about 25 Zoom videos around the world. Uh, but I teach anybody, anytime, anywhere. And I love to be on the court just as much today at age 67, just had a birthday, as I did when this all first started. And uh, hopefully I can keep doing another 20 years. Coach Rick Macy and I uh, are both Sagittarius. I, uh, my birthday was yesterday, my man. So happy birthday to you. Same to you. What is the biggest difference between coaching a ball striker 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and today? What's the difference between coaching Sonia Kennan and Jennifer Capriati, or is there, or is there no difference? Yeah, there's a big difference, and it's really the speed of the game. Mm. You know, uh, the one good thing about Sophia, and that wasn't that long ago. I mean, you know, I had her from age 5 to 12. She understands the geometry of the court like a professor because she needed to because she's not going to be blowing you away. She's going to be 5'6", 120. So she understands the geometry of the court. She can take the ball right off the bounce, on the rise, give you a surprise. So she's, she understood the court, and I think that's a premium. Um, even Jennifer, when she came to me, she played like Chris Ever. And I told Stefano, I said, you want her to play like Chris Ever? Even though Chrissy's the greatest, one of the greatest ever, ice in her veins. This was the early 90s. There was firepower, new strings, racket. So I moved her up to the baseline. She took the ball early, changed her forehand. She had pop spin, not side spin. So the game has gotten so much faster, Craig. If you can't, if you don't understand the court, you better be one of the fastest players in the world because you got to understand how to take the ball early. And it's all about power. You need diversification, but it's very much about power. And if it's about power, you better have movement. And if you don't have movement, you better have a nuclear serve, especially on the guy's side, or you have no chance. Well, here's a question for you. How important is the down-the-line backhand, particularly in women's tennis now, to open the court? That's money ball. You know, you can look at an interview on uh, long ago, Serena. They asked her, what's your favorite shot? At 11 years old, she was my backhand down the line. And that's Venus's also. And when those Williams sisters hit open stance and their right hip goes one way and their hands go down the line, they put everybody in the freezer. You know it's coming, but you can't get it. So the backhand down the line to change the direction of the ball, or even on the forehand, but even more so on the backhand, it's money in the bank if you take it early. Because let's face it, tennis is a game of movement, and everybody locks into the cross court, eight years in the juniors. And when you can change the direction of the ball with confidence, you're in good shape. Money in the bank. Yeah. Let's move into the fourth set. This is the 10-ball scramble. I just say it, and you say what comes in your mind. We go fast. Okay, Coach? Yep. Your best moment in tennis? Being on the tennis court. 
You love being on the tennis court. That's it. Toughest moment in tennis. Most difficult moment. Uh, when someone loses and I feel their pain. Is there ever a specific loss that you can? No, no. And I listen. My not to interrupt what you're doing. My favorite student of all time is who's ever on the other side of the net that hour, that minute, that second. And that's that's from my heart. Coach Rick Macy, hard and large and charged. Favorite player growing up? Ah. Uh, Maybe Jimmy Connors because of the haircut <laughs> and a T2000. I used to use the T2000. So I'd say Jimbo. Jimmy Connors, also a Midwesterner, right, too. You must there have you, liked him. Illinois, Bellevue, Illinois. Favorite player now, someone you love watching on the men and the women? Uh, well, it's, it's obviously Venus and Serena. And before it was Roddick before he retired. But uh, I would say better. Your favorite court can be any court in the world. Uh, U.S. Open atmosphere. Ash Stadium. You like Ash Stadium the best. Yeah. Your biggest pet peeve in pro tennis, something that really irritates you, Coach? Well, I have a lot of patience. Nothing ever bothers me, but I don't like the bathroom break stuff. I think it's, like, beyond ridiculous, and they need to change it like yesterday. Is is cheating in junior tennis and cheating in college tennis an out-of-control problem, Coach? Uh, It's more than out-of-control, especially in the junior. Um, and unfortunately, coaches and parents tell the kids to cheat. And in the long run, that never helps. You're really not just hurting their game. You're hurting them in the game of life. Your favorite tournament of all time, Coach? Favorite tournament? Uh, I just say again, the U.S. Open. Favorite city? Boca Raton. The best advice you've ever been given? He's thinking, he's thinking, he's taking a minute yeah, the here. Best advice, the best advice I've ever been given, uh, probably from my mom, you know, treat others how you'd like to be treated. The best advice you've ever given. The best advice I've ever given. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. That's it. Let's move into the fifth and final set. This is the king of the court. If you could make a change in tennis with just one swing of the racket, could be anything coach what would it be i'd really like to see one serve i'd love to see a tournament with just one serve i think that would that would change things dramatically and i think it'd be even more exciting uh for the fans one serve one serve one serve that just it one and done you know you would see uh who has courage and who's gonna you know kind of bail out I, i think it would change a lot It'll be interesting to see who could bang 135 with just one serve. Or who would even try it? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> who would even try it? Yeah. You could only would... do it when you were up 40 love. But the good thing about one serve, I, I just cured everybody. They would never double fault again. And, you know. <laughs> they would single fault. And, 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 Coach, by the way, one thing that irritates the hell out of me in tennis right now, because there's so many people playing tennis since COVID is they're not really learning where to stand on the court. Their court positioning is tragic. They don't know how to play doubles. They don't know how to volley. They don't know how to get their serve in. Coach, if someone comes to Rick Macy Academy, adult program, do you, do you work on that kind of stuff? Absolutely. I, I tell, I mean, I have like, I have uh, doctors that come here and I do reconstructive surgery on them. Now, most time people come here because they want to change technique and in five minutes I can change their elbow position and they'll say they learn more in five minutes they did in five years 
taking lessons every day in New York. It's crazy stuff. But yeah, I show them where to stand. Okay. I show them, I, we go over everything, you know, but now, you know, as well as I do, most people don't listen in life. So they go back and they do what they want to do. But yeah, no, we go over the whole menu of every single thing. Cause if you just kind of know where the ball's going or where to stand or how to do things better, you're going to have more fun. It's going to be more enjoyable and you're going to want to play more. And that's what it should be all about. Hey man, I've bopped around this whole tennis stuff for a lot of years. And I, I always kind of knew you as the coach that took some of these players to a certain place and then didn't end up on tour. And now I learned why you, uh, you 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 do it at your spot. You you do all the heavy lifting back down there at your at your courts. Yeah, you know I've had the opportunity, Craig, many times to go on the tour, and I want to get into specific names, but but then what? You know, five bad losses and you're toast. You know, I built something here, and I I love what I do. You know, I get to sleep in my own bed, and I live a half mile from the park. How crazy is this? I grew up a half mile from the park. I live a half mile from the park. It's come full circle. You know, so I do what I want to do. And so everybody in life makes choices, you know, to go want to sit in the box uh, and do that. Uh, I had that option, I think, many times. But at the end of the day, we all make choices. And uh, I never look back. And I'm just trying to get even better today when I get done with you and go back on the court. Rick Macy ain't sitting in the box. I love that, man. <laughs> Listen, this was a pleasure congratulations on um you know this sort of you know new publicity and and new found respect for you that's coming because uh you know you deserve it congratulations man well no well yeah so thank you I, it comes out in the movie just kind of you know what really happened because this is kind of historic and it couldn't have come out any better and like i said to reunite with uh venus and serena and then you know with richard when i went to visit him it's like uh icing on the cake so everything's great hey man happy holidays happy uh belated birthday coach rick macy you are released <laughs> we'll do it again thank you huge thank you to rick macy and thank you to sergio tacchini see them at sergiotacchini.com and use my code shap 30 in all caps at checkout to receive 30 percent off of your order Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.